Hey, booze, hey, do your blankets feel like super glue in the morning? Well, sis, it's time to shake them off. Welcome to Wake Up Happy Sis, the show that jumpstarts your day with a bang. We're strolling down these self-care streets as we navigate the maze of wellness and healing. We're helping you live happy, healed, and whole. And we do it all with a hearty dose of belly laughs for good measure. Stay tuned and get ready to wake up happy, sis. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another fabulous episode of Wake Up Happy Sis. Today, um, my co-host Sharonda is not with me today, so you just get to rock out with me today. Um, I'm Leanne Dolce, for those of you who are new in these Wake Up Happy Sis streets. Um, What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about emotional wellness, okay? I want to make sure, let me get my little script together because, you know, we got all the things here for you guys. Um, I just want to make sure you guys know. First, let's um, give a little shout out because you are listening to the Wake Up Happy Sis show on KCCR Cityscape Radio. If you're not in the know about Cityscape Radio. It's a part of Brownstone Worldwide. And you can always go to brownstoneworldwide.com and learn more about the radio station, learn about the different shows that we have on here. Um, Not just my fabulous show. We have a whole host of other fabulous, awesome shows for you to tune in and learn more about yourself, your business, your life your family. And then we get down with the get down on the good music over here too. So today, let me get started because my life is feeling a little discombobulated today in case you guys were were wondering. Okay. So today I'm diving deep. Okay. Into the realities that black women face breaking down the myths, and laying down some truths about our emotional wellness. Because it's time to let go of the myth of the strong Black woman, right? And we need to start cultivating emotional resilience. No longer can we be everybody's superwoman because it is literally killing us, right? So we're tossing out that old playbook and how you should be what everybody tells you to be. Oh, you're so strong. I don't check on you because I know you're strong. I know you got this, right? I have to be strong for my husband, my wife, my and or wife, my children, my boss, my coworkers, my church, my world, right? It's time for us to let go of all of those notions and rewrite the book of us. And we're going to get some truths. So as always, get you a drink. It's five o'clock somewhere. So you get what you want to drink. And let's buckle up. Because it's about to get real up in here, baby. So first things first. Let's talk about 
this myth of the strong black woman. Okay. Ooh, that's a big one to break down. This stereotype originated during slavery and has persisted through Jim Crow, through civil rights, and is still very prevalent today. And it goes about projecting the myth that Black women are immune to emotional pain. That's harmful and it's dehumanizing. We hurt the same as everybody else. But unfortunately, we haven't had the benefit of being fully supported or protected to where we could be weak and our families not fall apart. From systemically moving our black men out of the families, starting in the slavery days and forcing the black woman to be the head of that household, making her breeders for master's kids and all of that. It turned us into this mythical creature as if we are somehow superhuman, as if we're alien. We don't hurt like our white, Asian or Hispanic counterparts apparently. Just look at the disproportionate rates that black women die from something as normal and natural as childbirth. Because we go into these situations and we're telling the doctors what our pain is and they're not taking us seriously. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? I also want to talk about the societal expectations. Because mm, society puts so high expectation on us to be the pillar of strength for our families, for our communities, for everyone. And that often is to our own detriment, right? Now, this continuous strength performance, it often results in mental and emotional exhaustion. We cannot always be strong. We have to be allowed to be weak, to be vulnerable, to hurt, to show pain. Why is it that other races are allowed to show that weakness and it's not seen as a negative? It's actually seen as a strength, but in us, any weakness is the end. Now let's talk about, just quickly, some of the physical health consequences that manifest. That constant need for us to project strength and internalize our emotions 
can and often does manifest as physical ailments. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, there's a strong link between emotional well-being and physical health. We know that, we feel that. Every day. Just think about the concept of having a stress headache, right? How does your body react when you are overly stressed, overly anxious, scared, angry? When you're just so tired that everything, every fiber of your being hurts. That is a real thing. That connection between our emotional and mental health and our physical wellness cannot be denied. And that strong black woman stereotype, because that's 100% what it is, it's a stereotype that is hurting us. It can deter us from seeking emotional and psychological help that we need. And that then exacerbates our issues of depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues. Because we're embarrassed to get the help that we seek. Pile on top of that, the cultural norm that some of us live through where you don't talk about your problems, where it's seen as some kind of a negative to get mental help, to check on and focus on your mental and emotional wellness. How many people have someone in their family who suffered a mental break? Oh, wait, we all do. Sometimes that person is us. But then it gets covered up because we don't talk about what happens in our family. We don't talk about what happens in this household. That's killing us. That's old, outdated mentality. And remember when I said we're chucking that stuff out the window? We are. We are rewriting the narrative for our wellness because we're putting ourselves first. That means we have to start seeking help when we need it, from who we need it, professional help. Because some things, your good girlfriends and your pastor can't fix for you. Think about that. And continually putting on a strong front, it doesn't just affect you but it's also affecting your relationships, romantic and platonic. Because as you're stressed, as you become emotionally unavailable because you're dealing with all the things that you're dealing with, you are making it harder to create and maintain genuine connections. If you start pulling away from your mate, that's going to destroy, potentially destroy your romantic relationships. When you start pulling away from your friends, your confidants, hopefully they're going to come looking for you because they know something is wrong. 
But sometimes it feels so hard for you to maintain those connections because you just want to retreat in your shell. I know there are times when I do. As a cancer, I'm somewhat moody. There are times when I do need to retreat inside my shell so I can regenerate. Pile on top of that being an empath, having to block out because otherwise you absorb everybody's feelings, good and bad. That piles a lot on our shoulders. It puts more weight on our health and our well-being than we need. So how do we deal with that? How do we start unlearning that strong black woman stereotype? First things first, we have to acknowledge that it's okay to be vulnerable. You can start confiding in your people that you know will guard your heart, your trusted friends, your pastor. Tell them what you've been going through. If that's not enough, seek professional help. I will always say that. Secondly, make sure that you are practicing self-compassion instead of self-judgment. Stop putting yourself down for every mistake, every challenge. Stop blaming yourself every time something goes wrong. Give yourself grace. Give yourself the same level of grace that you give to those around you. And again, consider professional help. It might be therapy. It might be joining a supportive community like the one I'm building. I wake up happy, sis. But get the help you need. Now, how can we tell that we're being affected by this strong Black woman stereotype? First thing, if you have a constant feeling of exhaustion, but you just don't know why, like I haven't really done that much today, but why do I still feel so exhausted, so drained? Another could be that your friends or family start saying that they don't really know you anymore. And if you find that you never really allow yourself a bad day, then you probably have that strong black woman stereotype in your own head. If you feel bad when you wanna take a day off from work, when you need me time away from your family, a lot of women tell me that the first, the main thing they suffer with is guilt for wanting to take time away from their spouses and their families, for wanting to take time to, for themselves. How crazy does that sound? When you feel like you have to be everyone's everything, when you don't feel that you can be vulnerable, when you don't feel that you can be weak, you feel embarrassed 
about crying and having a breakdown and being weak. You're definitely suffering from that strong black woman stereotype. And professional settings often amplify the need for us to appear to appear strong and unflappable. You might find yourself going above and beyond because you're trying to prove your worth. Sometimes for black women, we have to be two or three times as good as the average person or as their best person for us to be seen as okay. Now, sometimes this is going to come at the expense of our emotional well-being. And it often manifests itself as imposter syndrome, where you're constantly doubting your achievements, your intelligence, your accomplishments. You don't know how to take a compliment. Oh, I'm, I'm, we're going to stop all that. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to learn how to set emotional boundaries while we're still navigating society's expectations of us. We have to start by saying no sometimes and honestly mean it. And that's really hard to do. But remember that no is a complete sentence. It does not require anything further. You have to start prioritizing your well-being over other people's comfort. And make it clear that emotional labor isn't your sole responsibility. If you look at the things that are going on with Will and Jada Smith, when Will wrote in his book and has said on numerous occasions that he told Jada that he quits. He had, she needed to go and figure out what made her happy and if it was even possible. You have to be responsible for your happiness, for your wellness. We cannot wait for other people to say, give us approval for our own emotional well being. We have to set those boundaries and set the expectations for ourselves and for others in how they get to engage with us. And finally, stop being afraid to take a step back from situations, people, places, and things that emotionally drain you. It's okay to say, you know what, I need to go over here and get myself together. It's okay to retreat back into your shell in those instances. And that's not even to me retreating back into your shell. That's setting a clear boundary that you do not get to dump on me. I am not your emotional waste basket. You don't get to dump all that on me and leave me with all the residue of your pain, you walk away feeling so much better. And now I'm carrying my pain and your pain. We're not doing that any longer. And before we continue, let's have a word from our sponsor, Brownstone Worldwide, about the upcoming cruise 
Ready to swap your daily grind for some ocean waves and sunshine? Then join Brownstone Worldwide for the ultimate neighbor's retreat aboard Celebrity Cruises. From July 21st through the 27th of 2024, get ready to make waves and unforgettable memories. Our all-inclusive package features plush rooms, drinks on us, complimentary Wi-Fi, and yes, even tips are taken care of. Bask in live entertainment, exciting contests, and be a part of the live tapings of Brownstone podcast shows. Venture beyond the ship with shore excursions to the stunning Key West, Bimini Bahamas, and Georgetown Grand Cayman. But here's the catch. These rooms are selling out like hotcakes right now. So don't miss the chance to rub elbows with your favorite Brownstone Air personalities and meet your neighbors in an unforgettable setting. So what are you waiting for? Secure your spot on this epic journey today. Yes, I am so excited for the cruise, y'all. I don't know. If you guys have headed over, head over to Brownstone Worldwide yet and checked out that cruise, but there are going to be so many fabulous things happening. You need to make sure that you head on over and get your tickets because this is going to be the truth, the truth. So let's get back to this discussion because what I want to talk about is the subtle yet pervasive forms of discrimination that we as Black women suffer from and their emotional toll that they take. Because I think it's important that we understand that as we dial in our own emotional wellness, we have to understand about things such as microaggressions, which can lead to accumulative stress. We have to focus on our workplace dynamics, social dynamics, right? Now, what are microaggressions, you might ask? Microaggressions are subtle, sometimes unintentional, discriminatory discriminatory comments or behaviors that are aimed at people of color, okay? When you've heard people say, you people, those people, right? When they make little comments about your appearance, maybe about the way you talk. Oh, I just, I just don't know how, right? They're not always overtly racist but they're very harmful. And those microaggressions can accumulate over time. Now, while individually, these little things might seem minor, that accumulation over time leads to significant stress and emotional fatigue. Because we feel like we have to be constantly vigilant against these microaggressions. Have you ever been told that you were, because let's say I have a friend whose policy is she does not socialize with her coworkers. I'm here to do my job and to go home and live my life outside of this job. So that's her, that is her choice. That is her right. And 
she had a coworker come up to her, you know, saying, hey, I, I noticed that we weren't getting along very well. And she didn't realize she had an issue with said coworker. She didn't know there was an issue at all. So the coworker's like, can we like go out, you know, and have drinks and just talk and da 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 da. And she lets her know politely. Well, you know, I didn't know that we had an issue. I don't have any issues with you. Um, but I'm, you know, happy to talk about it during work hours, but I do not, as a practice, mix my work life with my private life. So I don't go out with coworkers and things of that nature outside of work. The girl went to her manager and told her that she was being um, rude. She was, um, now her feelings are hurt, right? And just certain little things that the woman said during their encounter. Now, if we've never had direct conversations, how are you telling me that we have an issue and that I've been mean to you or whatever? And that, you know, you people are always so distant, so hard to talk to, right? It's the little digs, the little jabs. It's your manager who then comes to tell you that um, your policy shouldn't be to work, to not work with people, uh, you know, not to go out. Maybe you could just go out for this person, give up your free time with your family and your friends to appease her. It's the fact that the boss would even fix their mouth to make it your fault that this person doesn't feel coddled and you're not kowtowing and just blindly doing what they say. How do we manage that? How do we handle that? Because if now I don't even feel like I can be myself at work, I can't even be quiet and heads down. I get little snide comments when I do that. If I stand up for myself, now I'm being too aggressive. Right? People just don't understand me. How do we deal with that? Right? And then in the workplace, your workplace dynamics. Oh, baby. <clears throat> Excuse me. Microaggressions are absolutely an everyday workplace reality. Right? How many of you have suffered through microaggressions from coworkers? Hmm? The little things that people say. Now it can range from simple things like little comments about your hair. 
to assumptions about your competency based on your race or your appearance. According to a study by Catalyst, 58% of Black professionals have experienced some form of racial prejudice at work. Isn't that crazy? 58%. Now, let's talk about some examples of that. Questioning your competence. Have you ever been in a meeting where everyone looks shocked that you've delivered some kind of insightful comment? Especially if you're new to a group. It's like they weren't expecting you to be as smart and talented as you are. This is a very classic microaggression, undermining your skill and your worth based solely on the fact that you're a black woman, as if we aren't the most educated demographic. Come on now, don't play with us like that. What about when your non-black coworkers talk over you or you're just totally, your insights, your thoughts are totally ignored in meetings? That literally diminishes our voice it signals us that our opinions don't matter. And we all know it's far from the truth. Huh. Tokenism. Oh, baby, that's a big one. Have you ever been looked at? Uh, you are the only black in your group, so you now represent the entire black race, or they just assume that you know the other black people in the organization simply just because you're black, or you live in a predominantly white area, so they assume you just know every black person. I don't want to be the spokesperson for all Black people because our experiences are vastly different. I may not react to things the same way. I may not have seen the same movies, listened to the same music, right? Think about the Black people who are doing quote-unquote non-Black things, like listening to rock music, as if rock music wasn't also invented by Black people. But we don't want to be reduced to being tokens and the only representation of an entire race of people. What about the assumptions about your background? The awkward questions about where you're really from or how you speak so well. And sometimes these microaggressions come from other Black people. You ever heard the one where they tell you you sound white? because you're well-spoken and articulate? Oh. I'm gonna give you a couple more and then we're gonna move on. 
inappropriate hair comments, like touching our hair without permission, making comments like, oh, is that your real hair? When I was in college, I had a guy that actually said he thought that, well, he asked a question and he said he didn't want to ask it because he didn't want to look stupid. Only way you learn is if you ask. And he honestly, he'd never been around black people. He'd never seen black people till he got to college, right? He asked, does it hurt when our hair grows? Because he thought because we have coily hair that it grew out of our scalp like some kind of a corkscrew. Therefore it must hurt because it doesn't grow out straight. Now that's not intentional that he wanted to be malicious. He honestly didn't know, right? But those, what about mispronunciation of your name or the backhanded compliments? You're so articulate for a black woman. Oh, you're different. You're not like the other black women. What? Get out of here with that. And the last one I want to talk about is micro invalidations. When your experiences with racism or bias are minimized or questioned. And that's when they'll tell you, you've saying you've been treated unfairly and it's a racist underpinning or prejudicial underpinning to that to how you were treated and they say are you sure you're just you're not just being sensitive it isn't always about race those micro invalidations microaggressions and all of that all of these microaggressions so you see i just spouted off some there's others right there are way more microaggressions that happen. So individually, yes, it might not seem like a big thing, but as they build and grow and stack, that constant stress from all these microaggressions leads to anxiety, can lead to depression. It can leave you feeling isolated in professional spaces, like you are not welcome, like there are conversations that are being that are happening at the water tank, water cooler that are about you, like you're excluded from being able to be impactful and make decisions, that all can have significant impacts to your emotional well-being. And even outside of work, societal microaggressions, being followed in a store, all the Karenisms that are going on, the Karen sightings, where you're being questioned, about why you're in an upscale um, restaurant or neighborhood, the assumption that you cannot afford things when you go into an expensive store. And so you're followed around like you're a common criminal. Being treated as if you just don't know things or you're not as smart as your non-black friends 
the expectation that you may not have had certain experiences, therefore you are disadvantaged in some way, even if you came up in a predominantly white affluent area. Hmm. Now, initially we brush these things off, brush it off, brush it off. But over time, you might begin to feel like you're walking on eggshells. That imposter syndrome will leak in. If somebody is constantly picking at you that you're not good enough, that might seek in. And now you feel like you always have to prove yourself. So you're always going above and beyond for less. Because remember, we're paid less than our non-Black counterparts. This constant need to be on alert, to be vigilant, it just heightens our stress. And that can lead to long-term mental health issues and physical issues. It's not just the mental. Remember, the mental and the physical are very tightly connected. One affects the other. Now, how do we address and how do we cope with these microaggressions when they when we're faced with them. First, you need to find allies who can and will advocate for you. You also need to document your issues. Document every incident clearly and objectively. You have to get objective. You have to take your emotions out of it. Stick to the facts of what happened. You can and should jot down how it made you feel, but don't, don't try to determine how that person was feeling, right? They did this. This is what happened. This is what I said. Be very factual. Be very clear and objective. Do not let your emotions cloud it. Sometimes you have to take a minute, walk away, clear your head, and then write about it. Because it's your evidence that you need if you decide to escalate. And last, make sure that you are practicing self-care techniques to help you manage your stress and that might be mindfulness, doing some physical activity. They have these things called smash rooms where you literally can go and smash things to help take out your aggression in a way that does not hurt you and does not hurt others. Validate your own feelings. Don't let anyone make you feel like you're overreacting or being too sensitive. Your feelings are your own and they are valid. Acknowledge them and process them, but don't let them consume you. And remember, I talked about that advocate. You also need to find people that you can vent to. Now, it might be that advocate, but oftentimes it isn't the advocate 
who you need to vent all of your feelings to. The advocate is who you need to tell the situations to. But you might want to go to your close friends, your family, confidants, supportive, a supportive colleague who may not be that um, ally who's going to advocate for you. But somebody that you can talk to openly and honestly about your experiences so that you don't have to carry that emotional burden alone. But do not trauma and emotionally dump on that person. We don't want that for us, so let's not do it to others. But they may be able to shed some light, give you some ideas on how to react, how to cope. Mindfulness and deep breathing, meditative breathing, mm, that is a chef's kiss. That is going to help you. You can have some scripted responses. And we'll talk a little bit about those later. But you can have some scripted responses. And make sure you're getting self-help, professional help, I mean. If you need to talk to a mental health professional about what's going on, do that. Get their recommendations on how you should approach the situation. If you have mediators, conflict resolution people at your job, you can talk to them as well. They can help you work through issues with your coworkers, with your boss. And how do you maintain your emotional wellness with all these? Also, practice emotional detachment where possible. Now, this isn't always possible, right? But recognize that these incidents are a reflection of someone else's ignorance. It is not a reflection of your worth. So that's why when I say don't be emotional when you write up what happened in the incident, you need to separate your emotion from the incident. And you want to engage in activities that affirm your identity, that affirm your worth. What I do is I have a you go girl jar. So any accomplishments, any um, praises and kudos that I get at work, any testimonials I get from clients, things that my friends and other coworkers and clients and customers tell me. I put those in my You Go Girl jar, my You Go Girl file, book, journal. Any certifications, anything, any wins that I have. So that when I'm doubting myself and these microaggressions get too much, I can pull that out to remind myself just who I am. Now, let's talk about let me go back. How do we kind of dismantle? all of these things, right? This strong woman syndrome, we dismantled the effects that the microaggressions are taking on us. How do we 
fix that. Give yourself permission to be human. Give yourself permission to cry, to ask for help, to say no and mean it, to prioritize your own well-being, to stand up for yourself against those microaggressions, against the feeling of you have to be superwoman, against the societal expectations that you are somehow less than or expected to do more with less. It's okay. And in your daily life, self-reflection is key. Examine how the myth has shaped your behavior and your expectations of yourself. Because the first boundary we have to set is with ourselves. You have to set a boundary with yourself and know what your do's, do nots, will and will not accepts are. Right? On some level, people are going to do what we allow them to do. I mean, some people need to be checked. And we're not being disrespectful in how we address But we have to start with that self-reflection. Do I go above and beyond because I feel less than? Do I shrink back when these things happen to me? Do I retreat into my shell or do I face them openly and honestly? Do I have a hard time saying no and why? Do I feel guilty when I know I need to say no because I can't, I just can't take another thing? We need to start having open dialogues, open, honest conversations about the limitations and the harm this does to us. And that might be in your sister circle, that might be in your workplace, or it might be on social media. But these discussions need to happen. The only way we can stop the microaggressions is through communication and education. Some people aren't doing it to be malicious. They may not even realize the effect that their words have and their words and actions have on people. Now, some people are downright disrespectful and they mean everything they say until they get caught on camera. We've seen all the Karens and Kens that do all these things, get recorded, it hits social media, then all of a sudden, I, I'm just so sorry. You're not. You're sorry you got caught. But the only way that we can start to dismantle this stuff and change the people's actions is by holding people accountable, is by having communicative dialogue, is about educating people. Now, let's talk about, because through this time, I think I've given you some good strategies, right? But... I want to talk about now for our emotional wellness, let's talk about self-care. Let's get some practical strategies because the first thing we have to remember, your self-care is not selfish and it is not optional. It is a requirement. We need to redefine self-care 
as a revolutionary act. And maybe we need to unveil some non-traditional and immediately actionable strategies for us high-achieving Black women. Let's talk about the currency of time because I think that's an important aspect. Time is our most valuable asset, but we often surrender it so easily to other people's needs, other people's agendas. Flipping the script on that means treating time like the currency it is. We need to do an audit of our day. Where's most of our time go? When are we leveraging the best parts of our brain? What are the things that we're spending too much time on that we're overly focused on? And how can we reclaim pockets of time where we can infuse self-care into those moments? It might be a quick one or two minute meditations, and I have those. It might be a five minute power dance. It might be taking your 15 minute break and going outside in the fresh air in nature and taking a walk. Right? Time is a precious commodity that once gone, you can never get back. So we need to be better stewards of our time, who we are giving our time and our attention and our focus to. Not just who, but what. We also need to create a crisis toolkit. This is going to be your emergency self-care toolkit that's for your unique stress triggers. Now, this means you have to be more self-aware of what the actual trigger are. But when you do that time exercise, that time audit, you'll start learning what are the things that happened today, how did I respond to it, and why did I respond that way? That's what you should be doing as a part of that time audit. Because that's how you're going to see what are my triggers. Okay, now I've got my list of triggers. This emergency self-care toolkit, a.k.a. your crisis toolkit, is going to help you work through those things so that we don't get consumed by those feelings. We learn how to experience them, process them, and move past them. And this isn't a bath bomb and scented candle moment, although those might be a part of it. But you might think about using noise canceling headphones, right? Having a handwritten list of affirmations, but I'm going to go a step further. Have a pre-recorded set of affirmations that you've recorded and you've put over some high energy, upbeating um, music, right? That's at a frequency that vibrates with happiness, with abundance, with health, right? 
and listen to that over and over. And it might even be a scent, a small vial of a scent that calms you. Those are things that you can do quickly, immediately. You can implement those today. But it goes beyond that. What about digital sanctuaries? Now, technology, I'm going to be the first to say this, and I'm a tech girl. Sometimes technology can contribute to our stress. I got to do all these things and all these systems. I'm just overwhelmed. I can't learn yet one more system. But sometimes technology can be our sanctuary. Sanctuary. There we go. We can curate playlists, have a series of podcasts that we listen to, or YouTube videos that are motivational or that have high frequency music playing. Different feeds of things that uplift and relax us. For me, it's watching videos of babies laughing and playing and like puppies and kittens and those things help me. It's listening to nature sounds, right? It's making that playlist of high energy, upbeat music. Or like I said, that playlist of your affirmations that's set to um, a frequency that is positive, that is going to help you vibrate in a happy, healthy mode. But then think about energy budgeting. We have to start approaching our energy like we do our finances. And that means we may have to assign budgets to different life categories, okay? Work, relationships, self-care, might be family, might be granular, more like my kids, my spouse, my parents, my best friends, right? If a situation or a person continuously causes energy overdrafts, energy drainage, it's time to reevaluate its place in your life. Friend, family, good or bad, sometimes you have to put people out of your life. Sometimes it's fully, but sometimes it's, you know, you have to take a step back from that person because every time you're around them, it's an energy drain. It's an energy overdraft. And we're all about being in the black the green over here. We're not going in the red in our energy any longer. And creating boundary scripts. Remember I told you guys that we could have some scripts, right? While saying no is liberating, it can be intimidating. And the script it could be just like this. Let's say a work scenario. 
I appreciate the opportunity to take on more projects, but I currently have a full workload that requires my attention. Can we revisit this during my next performance review? Because when we are overwhelmed with work and we just continue to let people pile work on top of us, our emotional well-being is going to suffer. And when you're handed more responsibilities at work, but there is no compensation for that, you're going to do more work with the same pay. Or there's simply no time to do it. We have to be able to set that boundary because otherwise we're going to be the ones suffering from burnout. And in your personal life, let's say you have a friend that's constantly leaning on you for emotional support. And they are draining you. Every conversation is draining that energy overdraft I spoke of. Hey, friend X, I really value our friendship, but I cannot be your emotional support right now because I am going through a lot in my own personal life right now. Can we catch up at a later time? Now, you might feel guilty for saying that or like you're not being a good friend. I'm going to challenge you because a good friend would not use you as their emotional waste basket, as their emotional dumping ground. They would not put all their burdens on you because that is not fair. It is not fair that the expectation is that you are always their dumping ground. Do they do the same for you when you need it? It has to be balanced. We can't continue to give and give and give and not be there to take from someone else. It's a give and take. So who is your support? Who is your emotional support person that you can go to? If it's not that person, you need to reevaluate where they are in your life. Because a study published in Psychological Magazine says social support can improve mental health outcomes by as much as 29%. So yes, you're helping your friend by doing that. But who's helping you? Because now they've dumped and left all that trauma with you. Make sure you're limiting they're dumping of you, and you're also limiting where you're dumping, but have support where you can vent without it being a full trauma dump on somebody. And make sure that you're getting physical activity in too, because that is going to help you. That is going to help your emotional state mental state and your physical state. It might start with a 15 minute walk around your block or walk outside during lunch. Something very simple doesn't have to be hard. And the last thing before we end is 
building a proactive mindset. Start building that by adopting an if-then planning methodology. For instance, if a challenging situation arises at work, then I will take a five-minute break to breathe and recalibrate before responding. Issue resolution. That will also force you to not get consumed in the stress. And that's what we want. So what did we learn today, boys and girls? What we learned is that there are so many things in the world today that are causing us emotional pain, emotional stress. What we need to do is have some tools and tricks and our crisis toolkit, remember that term, crisis toolkit that's targeted towards our aggression. We learned that we're going to do a time and energy audit to find those time and energy sucks, those things that are making um, overdrafts of our time and our emotions. And we're going to reprioritize to put ourselves at the top. If you would like more information on how you can deal with your emotional wellness, how you can deal with microaggressions, how you can deal with burnout that leads to emotional illness, you can head on over to wakeuphappysis.com and you can get the support that you need. Now I'm going to leave you with one additional commercial and then we're going to head on out. So I want to thank y'all and we'll be right back. Hey sis, ever feel like you're on the verge of a meltdown? Are you overwhelmed from juggling your job, your family, and trying to fit in me time? but seriously dropping the ball on that last one, guess what? You're not alone. Introducing the Burnout Recovery Kit. It's your 14-day lifeline to go from burnt out to lit up. Get ready to reclaim your joy, energy, and that I got this attitude. Grab your free ebook, a purpose-driven workbook, daily email prompts, as well as SMS boosters, and Q&A sessions. It's like a spa day for your soul. And guess what? It's totally free. Don't waste another minute feeling drained. Go to officialburnoutrecoverykit.com right now and kickstart your transformation. The Burnout Recovery Kit, because you deserve to be at the top of your own to-do list. Don't just cope. Thrive, sis. All right. And with that, I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Wake Up Happy Sis. We'll be back on Thursday where we're actually talking about breaking the silence, domestic violence from Black women's perspective. That's going to be a serious and intense episode, so I don't want you to miss it. So thank y'all. Uh, and I want you to have an amazing and fabulous day. Have the day you were meant to have because you get to control how you react to all the stressors that come in your day. Make it a beautiful one.
Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Wake Up Happy Sis on KCCR The Brownstone. Make sure you show up every Monday at 10 a.m. for a new show.